when I used to think of hunger, I would think of another country, right? I didn't think of America. I didn't think of potentially it could be my neighbor or somebody I worked with. Welcome to On the Mission with Norwex Learning Network. I'm Amy Kadora. I created this show to help raise awareness about issues that can impact our quality of life, including harmful chemicals, plastic pollution, and sustainability. We'll also explore the simple changes that you can make to improve you, your families, and the planet's health. I'm so excited to be speaking with Michelle Bart today. Michelle is the director of New Partnerships Southwest for Feeding America. Feeding America is the largest domestic hunger relief organization in the U.S., and their mission is to feed America's hungry through a nationwide network of member food banks and also to engage our country in the fight to end hunger. And that fight has gotten truly more intense during this coronavirus pandemic. An estimated 50 million people may face hunger in the U.S. during 2020, including more than 17 million children. Now, while they focus on the United States, I know that Michelle's knowledge will really offer more insights into this shifting face of hunger across North America and our global markets. Plus, perhaps most importantly, she will let us know what we can do to help. All right, so I am here today and so excited to be able to talk with Michelle Bart, who um, is a big part of the Feeding America organization. And this is an organization that um, we've been so fortunate to partner with over the last couple of years. And she very graciously agreed to come on and talk a little bit with us about the program, kind of give us an education about the program, kind of some background information, because um, it's one that I learned an awful lot, Michelle, when we were talking, you know, even briefly last week and really opened my eyes and honestly inspired me to, um, to get you know, even a little bit more involved. So I'm, I'm really excited to be able to talk to you about it and bring more of this information um, out to more people. So I thought we'd just start off nice and easy. And, and really, if you can give us, uh, you know, an overview of what Feeding America is all about. And for those people that, that don't know, or maybe only know a little tiny bit, just give them a little bit more info on it. Thank you. And I so appreciate this opportunity, Amy. Um, so who's Feeding America? We are the largest hunger relief, domestic hunger relief organization in the United States. Um, we do cover all of the United States and Puerto Rico um, in terms of serving people. We have 200 food banks and 60,000 food pantries. Wow. So, and I try to share that, you know, we, um, our coverage really does reach every single community in every county across the U.S. because there is food insecurity in every county and community across the U.S. So mm -hmm. that just, you know, shows you the depth of hunger in America and what it looks like. I think a lot of people don't necessarily re realize that it's here in our own backyard. Before COVID, um, we were serving about 35 million Americans um, and providing around 4 billion meals a year through our network. So when we say our network, we're talking about those food banks and pantries. And since COVID, um, we are looking at about 50 million Americans 
And um, we just, you know, finished our fiscal year and provided more than 5 billion meals. Um, and that's a result of just the increase that um, our food banks have seen because of COVID. Wow. I mean, those, those are pretty staggering numbers. Those are pretty staggering numbers. How, how does Feeding America work itself? Because I, I, I found that fascinating in terms of the, diff, the, you know, the kind of slightly different approach that Feeding America takes to getting food out to those that are in need. So um, first, you know, I think it's important to understand how we basically operationalize this, Mm -hmm. right, this massive effort. Um, The national office really is here to serve the food banks. We were born from the food banks. The food banks started first Mm -hmm. and then recognized a need for a national office. So our role, um, if I were to just kind of put it into big buckets, is first um, national food sourcing. So um, you know, acquiring food at the, the national level with, with uh, manufacturers, distributors, national fundraising so that we can support our food banks and the work that they're doing. Um, we work on national level of advocacy. So there are a lot of um, different congressional bills that impact, you know, agricultural bills, SNAP bills, um, things that impact the people that we're serving. So we work at the national level on that. Mm-hmm. And then research that we can provide to our food banks. So data, um, so that our decision-making and also just our knowledge is data informed on what hunger looks like all the way down to the very smallest level in um, counties and cities so that we can always have a view into what is going on in a community and building out models of programs. Um, So we, we do that and then the food banks can take those models and customize them so that they meet the needs of their community. Um, that way, the local food banks really work on local food raising, local fundraising, and really helping to get food out. So when we say pantries, if, if somebody's not familiar with that term, food banks and pantries, a food bank um, really is an operation center, a distribution site where Feeding America and other sources that the food banks are working with acquire food, inventory it. Then they work with all these different hundreds. Every food bank works with hundreds of pantries in their, in their um, community. So think of things like, and I'll just name a couple, you might think of the Salvation Army or Boys and Girls Club or the church pantry down the street or the homeless shelter you know, across the way. All of those are pantries that work with our food banks so that we are helping to provide meals, whether they hand that out as groceries or whether they turn those into cooked meals for the community they serve. So they take that food and then serve people. They're the ones who, our pantries are the ones who put it into people's hands and our food banks are really the the operations distribution and logistics piece of that. I hope that makes sense. No, that, that totally made sense. And, you know, one of the other things that I, I, well, first of all, I think it's, it's pretty phenomenal when you, when you think about all of these, the, you know, it's almost like the web that's, that's being woven to, to, to be able to get the food out to the people down, if you will, down to the people on the ground that really need it most. It, it sounds like a very intricate operation in many ways. It is, um, but it's efficient. 
really, you know, one of the biggest um, challenges in this work around hunger is meeting people where they are. Right. And having very trusted sources where they can reach out for help. And so for different people in different communities, that's different. It might be their church. For others, it might be the shelter they're already living in. And so we want to be sensitive um, and give a also giving a very dignified experience to people receiving the support and resources that we're trying to offer. So that is those pantries play a very important role in being trusted community partners mm-hmm. for people and also just making it easy to get to those places and receive food. So um, it might be places they're already visiting or they're already used to going to. So there's a lot of trust building in the partnerships and the role that they play. You know, when, when, the, when COVID hit and the schools were shutting down, it really brought it to bear in, in my, just in my head. When you realize I started getting all the emails from the school saying, hey, we're still going to be having meals, um, pickup meals for these kids. And you just, you suddenly went, oh my gosh, the main source potentially of meals for these kids just went away with school now being virtual or, or no, no longer being in class. And uh, for me, that it just hit home hard to think, how, how can we help to get more food to these kids and their families as quickly as possible? And I know certainly the schools in this area, the system, I mean, they were on it fast. Like they were not wasting any time. It was, it was clearly one of the key priorities was to keep food coming out for these families. So I was, I was really impressed with that. I don't know if Feeding America, I'm sure you guys we're on top of that too, and trying to figure out how you get this into these, these kids' hands. Yes. So we, the food, the food, um, or the school districts have done an amazing job. Yeah. Hats off to them. Um, we saw the same in our community. It's been pretty much the same everywhere of really having to pivot Yeah. and do things differently. And that was one of the biggest programs we were concerned about. I mean, of course, all of our programs, but before COVID, there were 12 million children that were whose families and they were utilizing services that we had. So what we call our school pantry program and our backpack program. So if you're not familiar with those, the backpack program is about nine to 12 pounds, just kind of depending on where you're at of food that's put into a child's backpack on Thursdays or Fridays so that they can kind of, they have things to get through the weekend. Right. Right. The school pantry is much more of think of a farmer's market experience that's hap- that held is held at the schools and it's really available to the community members and the children and their families who are already on the free and reduced lunch program. Mm-hmm. That's got up to 17 million children now. Oh my gosh. Just with COVID. You know, looking at one in six children were food insecure before, we're now looking at one in four children. So th- there's been that's 25%. I, right. And our food banks in, in general have seen a 60% increase in the number of people they're serving just since COVID. I think there's a lot of complexities around hunger. It's, yes. There are a lot of root causes for why um, a family or an individual might be food insecure. Um, with the children and the school um, programs, there's, there's some nuances to that too. Um, how are you going to be able to hold these pantries that are used to being up? We know um, these children were already depending on um, breakfast many times and lunch at their schools. 
We also know that lots of those parents were, um, as a result of COVID, either unemployed, temporarily unemployed. And then we have this challenge of parents having to make decisions on whether they're going to, whether they can go back to work, if that is an option, and then also schooling at home. So the amount of meals that were needed at home and are still needed at home are greater than before because you have more people staying home. Right, right. Make sense? And so even what we've seen with our school programs and with our schools is when they've done these great drive-up distributions, um, they're giving out more food. We have to give out more food because people, more people are at home mm-hmm. and more people are in this situation of needing that. It's not, um, you know, helping one child. We know, you know, obviously if one person in the home is food insecure, the entire home is food insecure, right. but we also have some dynamics that COVID is placing here with, wow. with some of these challenges around unemployment, learning at home, all these other things. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I know that part, um, you know, we, I know that we've been a part of, of a number of backpack programs because man, when you think about that and you think about these kids needing food for their families for the weekends, that definitely, um, kinds of, kind of brings it, brings it home literally and figuratively. I know. Um, you know, I was looking at feeding America and I know that, you know, they've historically, they've been around for a really long time and, and, and really tracing the roots back to the very first food banks in America. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, so the first food bank was actually in Phoenix, um, still around called St. Mary's oh, um, wow. Bank. They also go by first food bank, <laughs> um, very proud. And, and honestly, one of our larger food banks in the network. So you think of these big cities, Phoenix and Los Angeles and San Francisco and New York, who just have very dense populations and um, huge networks. And they've been a leader. They've been a leader in um, helping other communities build food banks. So they really started it. And Mm -hmm. then others wanted to model after them. And through those, that's then what became the food bank system and what is known now as Feeding America. So some of those food banks have been around for 50 years. We've been around just a little over 40 years. Wow. Um, And the food banks, you know, I mentioned that we work on federal advocacy. They work on their state advocacy. Right. So um, the reason that's important is I think this is such a respectful model in terms of understanding where each of us have expertise mm-hmm. and really working together because we're not stepping on toes. We're really trying to work towards ending hunger. Mm-hmm. One stat that I think people would probably find surprising, 40% of the food in America goes to waste. Mm-hmm. 40%. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. We have enough food here to right. feed everybody that is food insecure as well as America, the rest of America, right? So there is enough food here. This is a logistics and distribution challenge. Mm, well said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how, how, how do you guys help solve that from that? Do you, do you have connections with the grocery stores or the grocery chain? How do you get this food that otherwise would have gone to waste and bring it into the system? So I think uh, we get that question a lot because of our, what we call our meal claim, which is $1 helps to provide 10 meals, right? And people ask a lot, how can you do that? I think it's a really valid question. 
most of the food that we source, which is what we call acquiring donated food, is donated. Most of the food that we get is donated. So that brings our um, expenses down considerably. And that's the same at food banks, right? For the local sourcing that they're doing. And that means that it allows us to be very efficient in the, for the food that we do purchase and the rest of our operations. So we have long um, time relationships and partnerships with manufacturers who are manufacturing food, um, with distributors, where they see waste and help distribute that food and retailers who are, you know, putting food out to market. And there are a lot of different chains through that supply chain, as well as the USDA, great partnership with the USDA, right? Um, and I would say that I think people tend to think of, um, we see ourselves as diverting food from going to the landfill and putting good food into people's hands that need it. Mm -hmm. um, that does not putting, mean putting bad food. So there are a bunch of different reasons why food would not go to market or would might be donated. It's either it didn't do well in market, like just people didn't want it, they didn't buy it. It was a new product line and it didn't go, it wasn't popular, supply and demand. Or um, there are mishaps. So things like it's labeled incorrectly mm -hmm. and we have permission to go and relabel that. Mm -hmm but then resort, re, you know, rescue that and source it back out. Or, you know, this happens a lot. Somebody, you know, just zipped through a box with a, a knife and opened some, but the rest of the box is fine, but they can't use that now. Right. Um, you know, so there's a bunch of reasons. There also is the reasons of getting close to a use by date. And mm -hmm. we know, so we do follow the USDA's guidelines on use by date, but use by date is different than, a um, ex expiration date. Priority date, right. Right. So we're careful. We have a lot of systems in place internally and with our food banks and pantries to um, ensure safety and safe handling um, procedures are in place because we are giving a lot of food out to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, but we've been really smart about that. And we have a whole team that works on that. And I think um, doing really good things. And I think the partners that we've had on the food side have also been very um, sensitive and conscious of that as well. So that right. helps. You know, one of the things that I know in our conversation last week, we talked a little bit about is, you know, certainly as an individual donating food is, is great, but it's even better when we can donate money, right? Because that money think you were saying really allows you to, or, or the, the food bank or the food pantry that we're donating to, to look at how they can make their meals, complete meals, right? Rather than, oh, okay, I got a box of spam or a can of spam and I got some ketchup and how can I put together a meal from that versus they can, they can decide they need more fresh produce or they do need more canned food or et cetera. And they can really make each of those meals I guess, well-rounded and healthy. Yes, good point. Um, and kind of, you know, taking off from where I just was, when we are sourcing food, um, it, it's important to note that these are large scales. So what the manufacturers and distributions, distributors and retailers can do is truckloads of food, of the same type of food, because we put that into an inventory system where the food banks can draw down 
and get what they need, right? So they can determine for their own community what they need. But this is massive and large scale donations. There is a lot of, um, and people really do want the opportunity to feel good and do good. And so when there are food drives, it's not that those are not wanted or needed. Keep in mind, there's a lot of volunteer hours behind checking all that food, making mm-hmm. sure seals aren't broken, making sure the best by date is in compliance, all these, and then putting them with like things. So it, we are dealing with such a massive quantity when you're trying to provide 5 billion plus meals a year in the amount of people. It What's the best use of people's um, resources is to um, is to really, you know, give a dollar that goes a long way. And that helps us to supplement what we're already getting from a donated, the donated side of things to help make meals, Mm -hmm. right? Because I always share, you can't make a meal from a loaf of bread and a bottle of ketchup and some soy sauce, right? We really want to be giving people complete meals, things Mm -hmm. that they can go and make several meals with. And so there will be some purchasing that we do to help fill those gaps. Yeah, that was really enlightening to me to think about that, that so often we're collecting canned food, right? The canned food drives, especially at this time of year, and thinking, gosh, maybe a better idea is, is to donate that that dollar, that $5, that $10, that $25 to allow that, that to happen. So you get a much well-rounded meal. You know, what's really sticking with me as I sit here is the 25% of kids who are, who are at risk or are going hungry right now. And, and you think about this incredible country and what we have, and it's just hard to fathom that. And, and so, you know, that, that we have, we have that, that level of a hunger issue, you know? Yes. And um, before COVID, um, most of the outreach and education we would do would be about letting people know about hidden hunger. Yes. It truly was hidden in our country. I think COVID has unfortunately brought that out and brought it to light so that people are um, more aware of what that looks like in the United States. But I, I do think that even, you know, myself, when I used to think of hunger, I would think of another country, mm-hmm. right? I didn't think of America. I didn't think of potentially it could be my neighbor or somebody I worked with. Mm-hmm. And um, it truly was hidden. And, um, you know, there were still 35, 40 million people we were serving before COVID. That amount of people will still be there after COVID. And it'll probably take us quite a while to get down from these numbers that we're seeing with COVID. Just as a quick example, when the 2008 recession hit, um, 2018 was the first time that we saw numbers of the number of people that were food insecure in our country start to now go back on the decline from that crisis. 10 years. 10 years. We expect this will probably take longer. Right, right. Yeah, I was just thinking of of even my kids' school. This would have been a couple of years ago. And their pantry, they have a school pantry, and they send out an email and said, hey, you know, we're in desperate need of, of food. And I, I live in a, in a, in a, you know, affluent might be a strong, but you know, there's money here, right? And to your point about hidden hunger, it really was, um, it opened my eyes to it. Um, and, 
in fact, I just, I took money down to the school because I didn't know what else to do. I'm like, I don't have canned food, but here, you know, you guys know what you need. So in, in hearing this conversation with you, I'm glad I did that, but you're right. It's hidden. And, and you don't think even in those quote, you know, nicer areas of town, they're all these people. And the, and the face of hunger is not what many people would think the face of hunger looks like. Very true. Um, and people are quiet about that. Very. Right. Um, There's shame. shame associated with that. Yes, it goes back to dignity. And I would say mm-hmm. that, you know, when we had the federal shutdown, I, I don't know if that was a year or two ago now, <laughs> everything's, uh, you know, time is just. Yes, yes. Here. But, um, and then we've seen it with COVID, you know, we've heard for a long time that the middle class is just one paycheck away from a disaster. Yep. It truly is, does show itself with these types of things um, where, you know, people can be in, in great communities and, um, you know, a couple things happen and that really all of a sudden just starts to steamroll and they find themselves needing assistance. And of those, you know, 60% that we were talking about, the increase the food banks have gotten, 40% were brand new to, to ever needing services. Wow. A food bank or a pantry. Hmm. 40% had never you know, um, stood in a food line before. So it's a really different situation for a lot of people who are faced with this. Um, some of them may have been donors to food banks in the past. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And now they're on the other side. One thing I would just add it really quickly is you mentioned your pantry. There are going to still be pantries and food banks who may say that they need food. Please follow what the community is asking you for. Um, funds goes a long way to a food bank, a pantry, or to Feeding America. The other thing is that if you have a pantry that is sharing that, the best thing, if you're not going to give money, is to call and find out what types of products they want, because mm-hmm. they can probably give you a list of, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Our food banks will always take peanut butter. It right. lasts a long time. It's protein. It's very hard to source. It doesn't, we don't get it donated a lot. Oh, wow. So, you know, during the holidays, you might want to call and say, is there a particular item so that if you are organizing a food drive, mm-hmm. that's the way you go and be um, a little Great bit more idea. about it. But yeah. honestly, a dollar goes a long way. Right. No, I love that. I was thinking you go out and if peanut butter's on sale, load up that cart and, and drop it off. So, you know, we talked a lot about kids and adults. What about seniors? I'm just wondering how seniors, especially with this with this pandemic, who were probably already pretty homebound. Um, how is is there a way to that you're able to reach out to them for food to give them food? Yes, I think um, we have not seen the huge increase on our senior populations that we did with children and families. Okay, I think part of that is because um, many of our seniors are tuned in to the resources that their community has. And so they're already connected um, in that way. I think, um, you know, probably dealing with some isolation challenges like everywhere, right? right. Not, just, not just the people we see is more of the, the challenge, but many of those senior um, community groups are pantries. Ah, you know, when you think of like senior services that are in your community, they have a pantry or a meal delivery system that's already typically working 
with Feeding America or with the Feeding America food bank that's in their community. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's interesting too. Um, you know, I know even with this holiday season being upon us, I know, well, I don't know with COVID, but normally um, food is obviously at the center of all of our celebrations. And I think it's front, uh, you know, top of mind for people. And people typically would be reaching out and making sure that their local community food bank has what they need. But, you know, have you guys been successful in bringing attention to that food insecurity year round? I mean, it, have you found that you've been able to engage with the communities and say, hey, love that you're coming now at the holidays. Love, love, love it. Please, please come and please help us. But there's also the rest of the year that we also would welcome that that sort of help and support. Yes, um, I think it's a challenge. I think you bring up a good challenge, right? Because we all, I mean, myself included, we all think about the holidays mm -hmm. and what can we do in our community to give back to people um, that may be in need, neighbors, whoever. Right. Um, and so there is this influx of people that want to do things, which is wonderful. Um, and then the same number of people that needed us in December also need us in January mm -hmm. and February and March, right? So I one suggestion that I have for people is if they want to give, whether that's to Feeding America or your local food bank, I think that they should consider doing some type of monthly recurring gift. Mm -hmm. So we all, you know, Feeding America has something on our website where you can give online, you can make that a recurring gift. So, you know, I, just to give you an idea, $5 goes 50 for, you know, 50 meals at Feeding America. So for a cup of coffee a month, right. you can help provide 50 meals on the table for people. I think that's powerful. And when I think of it in those terms, it's very realistic for me to think that I can um, participate. Right. And in, in easy to participate. I mean, to your point, you're talking a dollar, you're talking $5, $10, and, and certainly something I wouldn't mind giving up a cup of coffee um, to do that every month. So I love that as an idea that I, that went through my mind too, in our conversation last week, I'm like, Hmm, maybe I should be doing that monthly too. So I, I love that. Um, do you find that there's a particular time of year that the need is the most, or is it, is it really, Hey, it's monthly. We have the same needs monthly, except of course, with COVID we've had this significant spike, but it, it doesn't really have seasonality. It is a year round need about the same level. Yes and no. I think the, um, the amount of people we're serving and the meals we're getting out is this pretty much the same month to month with the exception of the holidays mm -hmm. time. Because if you think about it, um, if you're struggling to purchase groceries, just general groceries, how are you going to put a holiday meal on top of that on the table, right? So that's just an additional expense of something you may already be struggling with. Mm -hmm. So that is a really, it's a, a time of year that provides a lot of anxiety for people. You know, um, how are they going to give their family, their children, a holiday meal when they're, you know, yesterday's grocery visit was, was slim as well, right? Right. The other time of year that's really important. So there's more food that's put out during the holidays, just so you know, mm. because we know there's more, there's more holiday food as well as just your general groceries that mm -hmm. people need. Right. Um, and then the other time of year, typically and COVID has been a little weird with this is school's out. 
the summer. All right. Right. Because you have all of these children who are on the free and reduced lunch program and who were receiving breakfast and lunch at schools and now they're out of school. And so the parks and recreation um, departments and the libraries and the boys and girls club all help with those so that there can be food distributions at those different um, places where kids would normally or want to go congregate at and get a breakfast or lunch. COVID's been weird. <laughs> this has been a weird year, right? right, right. Um, because that's that's been different. And so we typically would see elevated need then because you're the you know children are home more and mm-hmm. they're needing to receive those that food during the summer. We've seen because of just the way COVID is, those numbers elevated regardless and that's saying that's staying the same. That's not going down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of that is tied to, um, you know, unemployment and whatever else is going on in the home. And staying, yeah, and having to stay home. And even now, I mean, as some of the kids that were in school are now coming back home and doing virtual learning, as they're maybe seeing some spikes, um, you run that risk again of those kids that were getting food now coming back home and, and being food insecure. Um, okay, so I, I, first of all, I appreciate you taking the time today. I just had one last question, and that was what, and I think a lot of our, our listeners would, would want to ask this too, which is what, what are the ways or a way that we can help Feeding America moving forward? Is there something that the people that are listening might be able do, to do to help that you would say, hey, this is, this is what we'd love for you guys to do? Um, I think, you know, it's always about um, sharing our message, honestly and letting people know what you've learned today, um, reaching out to us to see if there are other ways that you maybe want to be involved. Um, of course, we always talk about donations because that's that's what helps us put more meals on the table. Um, but you also have local food banks. You also can, you know, you have to check with your local food bank, which are currently accepting community volunteers, but we have 2 million volunteers across the country annually. We are really powered by a lot of volunteers who help make this work possible. So if your community food bank or your community pantries are accepting volunteers, that's another really great great way to give us the labor force that we need to do the work that we're doing. They're really integral to our work. So that's another way that I would recommend. Um, And of course, if you are out there and you own a business and you're interested in um, some type of corporate partnership or learning more, um, we definitely have places where we can talk to you and and discuss what that might look like too. We have a lot of businesses that support us, thank goodness, um, and they have a lot of reach. So that's, that's wonderful in getting our message out. Well, Michelle, I appreciate you coming on today. I learned an awful lot between this call and our earlier kind of a first introductory call. And uh, I will definitely take the message out uh, because there was a lot of statistics and information here that I don't think people are aware of. Um, And certainly the ideas for how we can help. I'm I'm gonna make sure I share those too and see what I can do with my local food bank as well. So really appreciate you, appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for everything you do every day and that your teams are doing. We appreciate each and every one of you. So thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks the list. Thank you to the listeners that are listening. We really appreciate it. But thank you for giving this opportunity. We appreciate it. Absolutely.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share with friends and family and don't forget to follow and subscribe.